series I titled Made Right because what we're learning is justification. Righteousness is something that we can't do for ourselves. It's something that God has done for us and he's provided it. And as we celebrate today in communion, he did that through his son, amen. When Jesus Christ was born into this world through the Virgin Mary, as we just celebrated at Christmas time, lived a perfect sinless life and fulfilled all of God's plans and purposes ultimately went to the cross where he died in our place. And he died not just because of us, but he died for us, that in him that we could experience eternal life. And so uh, we get to celebrate that today. I can't think of a better Sunday to do that than the first Sunday of a brand new year. And where, like I said, it falls under this text. The text this morning we're going to look at is in chapter 4, and it's uh, Romans chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. And the title of this message this morning, I, I titled this as A Reminder to Remember. A Reminder to Remember. And uh, we'll take a look at this in, in verse 9 and then um, through verse 12. Then we'll just take a moment here, pray together, and uh, dig into this this morning before we set you off into the course of a brand new day, the first weekend of a, of a new year. And hopefully the Lord will continue to bless and to prosper you in all that you would set your heart and mind to do for him. Verse 9 says, now is the this blessing uh, the Apostle Paul is talking about here, he says, is it only for the Jews or is it also for the uncircumcised Gentiles? Well, he says, we have been saying, I'm reading from the NLT translation, so I want you to understand we've uh, made a little move here. Uh, a lot of us will still use the New King James in different studies, but uh, I'm using the NLT here this morning. So if you, I wanted to just stop and tell you that I'm going to start it over um, and read it again. So that way, because I always have somebody go, what were you reading from? I didn't, I wasn't aware of that. I personally, I love the NLT translation myself and uh, have enjoyed it for a long time, uh, kind of waffle just due to things that I shouldn't have worried about. But uh, um, it's such a, a great book, uh, such a great translation, and I know that uh, those that use it, and there's a lot of you that do use it, uh, you find it to be a real blessing. If you struggle with understanding uh, as you're reading the word, uh, I can encourage you to try this translation. You know, they say, what is the best translation? Well, the best translation is the one that you'll read. Now, obviously, um, there are some that are, are more true to the specific wording in Scripture, um, many read the NIV uh, translation. Um, that one's a little too difficult for me because teaching specific words, it's hard when you're looking at more of a kind of a, a commentary approach to it. But I, I love the, the NLT. Uh, it says this, it says, now is the blessing only for the Jews? It says, or is it for the uncircumcised Gentiles? It says, well, we have been saying that Abraham was counted as righteous by God because of his faith. But how did this happen? Was he counted as righteous only after he was circumcised? Or was it before he was circumcised? Clearly, God accepted Abraham before he was circumcised. Circumcision was a sign that Abraham already had faith and that God had already accepted him and declared him to be righteous even before he was circumcised. So Abraham is the spiritual father of those who have faith but have not been circumcised. They are counted as righteous because of their faith. And Abraham is also the spiritual father of those who have been circumcised, but only if they have the same kind of faith that Abraham had before he was circumcised. And so we'll take a moment here and we'll pray. Fathers, we study your word today. Lord, I pray that God, it would make its way deep within our heart as Isaac was praying in, in worship that God, it would take root and that God, it would produce Lord, what you desire it to produce in our life, that we wouldn't just be hearers. We wouldn't just be readers of your word today, but that Lord, we would take your word and take it to heart and that Lord, we would act upon it as if in the truest sense, our lives depended upon it because that's exactly what they do. And Lord, thank you that you're a voice that, Lord, we can hear, you still speak. Lord, thank you that you've given us eyes to see and ears to hear what the Holy Spirit would be speaking to us. And so, Lord, we thank you today. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for revealing yourself to us and making yourself known. 
Lord, thank you for instructing us, Lord, in the ways of righteousness and the things that you would have us to do. Thank you for all the reminders that we have uh, in Scripture that, Lord, each and every time we're just reminded of how faithful you are. And, Lord, we love you today. And, Lord, we look forward to not just what you have in store for today, but, Lord, throughout this year. We just invite you, Holy Spirit, to go before us, to lead us, and to guide us into all truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, let me ask you, how many forget things by a show of hands? You forget things, yeah. If, if you, can you think of anything that you've forgotten recently? I mean, just, um, I, I was studying for this, and, and uh, you know, I, I, I remind you all the time, I, I say this from the pulpit, you know, that I need to my job, one of the jobs as a pastor is to, um, you know, remind you of things that you've forgotten, right? I tell you, I said, you know, we, as people, we tend to what we, you know, remember the things that we should forget and we forget the things that we should remember. And as I was thinking about this, especially in light of this particular, you know, um, passage, um, I, I thought of things that, you know, I forget. And sometimes, I mean, it's, it's embarrassing at times. Have you ever, have you ever uh, gotten the car to leave your house and gone back into the house to look for something that you actually had with you on your person at the time? At the time? I mean, and you literally go back in, like you can watch people. Some people, you know, they've told me, they go, you know, Pastor Mike, they go, because I, I had this conversation with a few people this week and they said, oh my gosh. They said, you know, my husband or my wife, I mean, they go in the house two or three times before the car leaves. They get to the car and then they open the door and they get back out and they go in, they get something because they forgot, you know, all these things, you know, they go, that's two or three times, you know, they go, they go, just plan on it. They go, we never just get in the car, start the car and go. So we'll sit and talk and they'll go, okay, so what do we forget? You know, and, and then, you know, I mean, have you ever had, and these are always funny ones that people told me this week, they go, Pastor Mike, they go, I'll be looking for my glasses, literally looking for my glass and getting by their confession. They go, and I'm getting angry. They go, I go, I'll like, they're walking around kind of like that old Snickers commercial going, Argh! you know, you don't say bad words, but you have bad grunts, right? God knows that it's a sinful grunt, right? You know, and you go, you go, where is it? And then you go, oh my gosh, it's right there on my face or your phone. Have you ever been looking for your phone and you've had your phone in your hand, that's like, it's one of those things that you go, how could you? And you go, it happens. Most of us, not everybody, but most of us have, have stories about, you know, things that we forgot. One of my favorite all-time forgetful stories is one that uh, Larry Vasquez tells. And I don't know if you've ever, you've ever heard the story or not, but uh, when Larry's office uh, was over on California Avenue, Larry owns a company called Northern Digital, um, he went out on a Friday afternoon. And he was leaving and he got in his car and he started his car and he'd been sitting there and he was looking at his phone. He was doing some things before, you know, he was talking with somebody uh, in a pretty in-depth, you know, he works in a very technical industry uh, conversation. And one of his employees came out and signaled for him to come back in. And so he, he did. And so he goes, he just left the car running and he goes run, going back in and he's in there and they're in the middle of this heavy conversation. Well, then Mona drives up. Mona comes up and comes into the office and, and so they're talking and so they decide to go to dinner. And so Larry says, we'll just take your car, honey. And he goes, and, and we'll just, I'll just leave mine here on the weekend. So, so they get in Mona's car and they, they go to dinner and Larry comes back on Monday morning. Mona pulls up, pulls him right next to his car. He gets out and his car's running and he's going, what the heck? And he goes, oh my gosh. He goes, I left my car running. It was in the parking lot since Friday. And you think about this, I mean, you know, he's got a nice vehicle there off California Avenue, sat there for the entire weekend running and no one stole it, which was a great, you know, tribute to our society. Things have changed, uh, you know, since then. But uh, I, I, that's one of my, my favorite ones, you know, of what happens, obviously, you know, when we, uh, um, I'm losing, hey, I'm going to have to, I'm, I'm going to stop here for a second. So Jeff, remind me after this service, I need you to do a couple things with me. I have things on my screen that are showing up. There's ads. So if I start reading an ad for something, no, it's, it's, an, it's not. I haven't lost it. It's, it's popping up on my screen and my screen's shutting off because I don't have the timers or anything set like I used to have it set. So it's going to do things that are kind of haywire today. So forgive me in advance. It's just one of those things with technology. Thank God that we have people that are 
technologically advanced there. But, um, and so I do, you know, I, I think about that a lot and, you know, um, you know, there's different things. And I guess I'll ask you this in the way of participation, participation this morning. Um, you think about this, is there, do you have any secret or something, you know, as we start a new year, cause we all tend to forget things that you go, Hey, I've discovered this has really helped me to remember and not forget. Do you have any, you got anything? I'll take just a minute and give you an opportunity to participate this morning in that. Something that you use that might be beneficial to other people to help you remember and not forget. Go ahead, throw it out, Wiley. Oh, that was a good one. Good answer. Top answer of 2022. Man, knocked it out of the park, right? Let's just move on from there. We don't even need to dig deep. That's a good one. Anything else, though, you can pick up? An iPhone? Yeah, now I can tell you this. It, it cracks me up. It doesn't work, though. I just want you to know. Uh, I, don't, I don't see Buddy in here, the first service here this morning. Buddy has, like, two phones. And you'll be sitting talking with Buddy. We'll be in the cafe. And Buddy's phone, just the, the, the timer just starts to go off. And it goes off. So he hits it. And, and I go, Buddy, what's that? And he goes, it's an alarm. And I go what's the alarm for? And he goes, oh, it's a reminder. And I go, for what? And he goes, I don't know. <laughs> so we're sitting there five more minutes. The alarm goes off. I mean, it goes off like 20 some times in less than a half hour. And I'm going, buddy, what are, what are all the alarms for? And he's, well, they're to remind me not to forget things. And I go, okay, so what, what did you forget? And he's, I, I can't remember. So that one doesn't work if you're, if you're tending to use that. But, uh, like I said, it's it's real easy for us to to remember things and to forget things. And like I said, it's it's crazy. We can, you know, I can't forget things that I I really do you know, want to for, forget, but I just they just stay with you. And then things that I like I said, I wish that I could remember till the day that I die. I just tend to forget those things. But God knows, and that's that's the good thing about here today as we look at this particular portion of text. You know, people will ask, you know, why did God give the children of Israel, you know, the practice of circumcision of all the things, you know, and the simple answer really in this is that, so they wouldn't forget that that's really what it, that's really what it was about. That you think about, you know, as a, as a, a man went to the bathroom, you know, that's just, you know, not to be, uh, you know, how, how do you, you need to have these discussions or biblical discussions. There's circumcision, I think is listed some like over 108 times in scripture. So it's nothing that, that God just brushes over here, but you don't hear much, you know, about it with regard to why, why would God do that? And again, just knowing that we tend to forget things and God wanted man to remember. And so he placed a, that sign in a place where for the most part, you are going to have to remember it at least a few times during the course of the day. And, and it, it's a, it's, it's when you think about, you know, that God would care that much about us remembering like I said, and we do, like I said, tend to forget the things that we need to remember. But, you know, technically speaking, you know, we look at it this way. I just put this in my notes. Circumcision was a symbolic ritual then given to the Jews to serve as a reminder that they were God's chosen people. That's what he wanted them to remember, that they were God's chosen people. A people who wouldn't be governed by their flesh, you know, or their lust, but they would be governed by God. That's what God wanted them to remember, that they were God, God's chosen people, that God would be their God and they would be his people. And one of the interesting things about circumcision, when it was put into practice, you know, the, um, you know these are things that came out later on when you think about from a health perspective. Um, you know, Jews were to be circumcised whenever possible on the eighth day. And there was something interesting. And some of you know this, so I'll give you an opportunity to play Bible trivia here. Why was the eighth day so important? Why not get circumcised on the seventh day or the sixth day or the day that they were born? There, there was, you can just throw it out. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. The K factor, you know, clotting occurred on the eighth day. And, and those are little things that, you know, people, you know, when you dig deeper into it and you understand that, you know, the God who created human life, uh, that would be important that, you know, if there was going to be, you know, a, a, a cutting away of the, of human flesh that, uh, again, uh, to prevent, you know, death, you know, bleeding out in that sense, that clotting 
would pr be performed. And again, the body naturally produces that on the eighth day. And, you know, I love Ray Stedman. And Ray Stedman, uh, in Romans chapter 4, his commentary, he said this. He said, uh, because, you know, like I said, most people that I talked to about this in the last couple of weeks that were reading ahead, I have some people that they're so great when it comes to studying because we've got people that they go, hey, I've read the book of Romans every, every week. And, uh, and it comes up naturally. They go, so I, this whole thing with circumcision, you know, and, and I loved how Ray Stedman approached this. Ray said, I find a lot of people today who are very embarrassed by God's emphasis upon circumcision. Because of their upbringing, these people feel that sex is dirty and that our sexual organs are never to be discussed or mentioned. They think that our bodies end at the waist. He said, that, of course, represents a very twisted view of human sexuality. And, and trust me, our society has a very twisted view. It says, God frequently discusses circumcision. He chose it as the symbol of his marvelous truth regarding faith. And he gave it to the Jews for a specific purpose. God is not the least embarrassed by that fact. And I don't think that we should be either. Those who fail to think through this whole matter of circumcision miss some very powerful insights into human life. And I thought, well, you know, that it's, it's such a truth, a great truth that we you know, don't need to shy away from, but to understand what was the purpose. And so Paul here, you know, he's making it perfectly clear, you know, using Abraham as an example, because remember, Abraham was the chief cornerstone, you might say, you know, of Jewish life. They looked to Abraham for everything. And if Abraham did it, they wanted to do it or whatever Abraham said. And so here's Paul knowing that, and again, going back and using Abraham as an example and demonstrating very clearly that it wasn't you know, the law that justified Abraham, but it was his faith, his trust, or his belief in God that gave him acceptance before God. You know, any righteousness, any fellowship that he enjoyed was always based on faith alone. And what was true for Abraham is true for me and you. But yet there still exists so much legalism, like I said, in the world today. You know, the Jews, you know, had been told basically their whole life that in order for them to be accepted by God, they had to do this, they had to do this, they had to do this. And you guess what? Many of us have been told the exact same things. In order for God to love us, God to accept us, you know, we must do this, we must do this, and we must do this. So there's the checklist, you know, it's the, I got to remember, I got to remember, I got to remember that my salvation is predicated on what I do. And again, missing the whole point that my salvation and yours is predicated on what Christ has done for us. Amen. And so obviously this is uh, an extremely uh, controversial, difficult, you know, thing to get people past because there's so much, you know, battle that takes place that people in a sense either want to discount what God has done in sending Jesus into this world or that people within themselves, you know, like as people will say, they go, you know, I'll take my chances before God because I'm a, and they make it about themselves. And, you know, that they don't need God. I was having a conversation with a brother this week. He said, you know, yeah, I was talking with a friend and he said, you know, oh yeah, you know, you're, you know, Jesus is just a crutch. And he said, yeah, he is. He goes, he's a crutch. He's an ambulance. He's a hospital. Uh, he's everything to me, you know? And then he was talking with a friend and he said that, you know, had his own addictions, you know, his own crutches, but his, you know, for some people they go, well, Jesus is my crutch. He's the one that I lean on. Thank God that he's a solid rock, amen? And other people will go, well, you know, I just, uh, I, 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 I might have a few drinks or, you know, I, I, you know, do this or I do this or I, you know, I take this drug or I take this medication or I do this and all kinds of things. And that becomes their crutch. And there's something about, you know, freedom in Christ, amen? As scripture says, you know, that, that he who has the son is free indeed. Jesus didn't come to put us into bondage. He came to set us free. He came that we might have life and have life to the fullest. And, and people that are truly tapping into the things that God has for them are the ones that you find in life. And you go, man, what is different, you know, about them? There's, there's really is a freedom, uh, free from all the trappings of the world when we find our freedom in Jesus Christ. And so, like I said, Paul is using Abraham, you know, the, the patriarch here of, of Israel as the standard of acceptance, you could say, before God. 
And he says, you know, let, let's look, let's look at Abraham's life. And that's what we do here you know, today, just a few short verses. Let's look at his life and see, you know, was, was Abraham accepted by God on the basis of his works? Because that's the argument here. You're either saved by faith or you're saved by works, but it can't be a combination thereof. And that's been the battle that has existed since, you know, the fall of man. As people think that, you know, one way or the other, either you're going to be accepted by what God has done for you, or you're going to earn or work your way into heaven. And you look at all the religions today that are man-centered, and it's always, you know, what man can do, you know, in order to achieve heaven. And then you look at Christianity, it was that, you know, God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten son. You know, Jesus came into this world. He was born into this world for the very purpose to die on a cross so that we could know salvation, that we could again, experience acceptance with God. Again, not based on anything that we've done other than the fact of placing our hope and our trust in what God has done for us. And that's exactly what Abraham did. If you look at that in verse nine here, because you remember, you know, again, what is Paul doing? He's created this in a sense of a trial, right? And, and he's put the whole world on, on notice here that we're all guilty before God. He started, like I said, you know, on the very outside, he started with the pagan, the Gentile. He worked, moved into the moralist and then ultimately, you know, the religious person, the Jew, and said, hey, everybody's guilty. And so then the question became, you know, how, how can we be saved? What can I do in order to experience, you know, peace with God? How can I know salvation? And he said, it's by faith alone. Again, it's what has led to every great revival that's ever taken place. When you can finally get to that place, you think about interrelationship in a marriage. What makes for a great marriage isn't the fact that it's work, 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 is that you go, I found someone that I can be myself with or brings out the best in me, you know, that I can, you know, again, uh, when you think about your life, you go, I can be who I am. I, I don't have to, I don't have to wear a mask, you know, in the sense, you know, and I mean this in a, a non, in the sense, hypocritical way, but in the truest sense, we all wear masks to a certain degree. And what I mean by that is that we don't let everybody see everything there is to know about us. And there, that's, there's a good reason for that, because for the most part, you know, the, the world would reject us in that regard. And so you try to put your best foot forward. All you have to do is look at social media, right? I mean, you don't look at social media and you don't see like, you know, they always show that one and people do it. And it's just, a, it's funny when you see it and they, they, they get up in the morning and their hair's all messed up and there's no makeup on or anything else. They take their picture and they go, hello, this is the real me. Right. And then you go, Ooh, that's not very attractive. And they go, yeah. And nobody would, and you don't get any likes on that one. You go, but you know, but after you make yourself up and make yourself presentable, all of a sudden people go, oh, I like that. I like that. And so the world is driven, and again, and you think about it, just our, this whole system, our, our, we're driven by the response that we hope that we can get from other people, or the affirmation, you know, how many likes did this get? Did people like it? Will they accept me? Do they like me? Will they follow me? Will they, you know, all these things, you know, you can be a social influencer by the number of people. You can make millions of dollars simply by the number of people that, you know, will follow you. So again, you know, we know, you know, people in Bakersfield who are, are listed as, as social influencers on, on social media and what happens with that. They go, you know, companies will send them. There's, there's a, a couple of families that, um, you know, good looking family, good looking kids. Um, and all they do all day long, you know, seven days a week is film themselves in just real life events, right? So they have cameras all around their home. I mean, it just seems so, you know, intrusive and stuff. And you go, but there's a lot of money to be made. And they, and I was talking with a coach, uh, Mike Butler was telling me about it. And he said, yeah, he goes, uh, and he goes, it's amazing. He goes, and, and companies just, I mean, every day that shows up, he goes, UPS is showing up, FedEx is showing up. They're just dropping off stuff. They close for their kids, you know, games and activities, things that they just want in the, you know, to be shown, you know, in the video or, you know, in the, in whatever that they're presenting, you know, on uh, Instagram or on social media. And they go, and if it's in there, then they get paid more and more and more. And that's kind of the world's ways, right? It's whatever we need to do in order to be accepted. And, and so we're trained in that. As a matter of fact, there's, there's profit in that. And so, 
again, here's God going, but, it, but, but with God, it's, it's, it's totally the opposite. You know, Greg Laurie wrote a book years ago called The Upside Down Church. And really the church is the world flipped upside down. In, in the truest sense, be, whatever you see really in the world with God, it's almost all the time the very opposite. And again, it's such a, a wonderful picture when you really start to comprehend it here. Verses 9 and 10 there in Romans 4, uh, Paul puts it like this. He says, now, is this blessing only for the Jews or is it also for the uncircumcised Gentile? And the Gentile was any non-Jewish person, okay? It says, well, we have all been saying that Abraham was counted as righteous by God because of his faith. But how did this happen? Was he counted as righteous only after he was circumcised or was it before that he was circumcised? Has clearly God has accepted Abraham before he was circumcised. And that's so important because remember the Jews are going, Abraham's our guy. He, he's, he's, he's the benchmark of what it is to be a Jew. He's the father of the Jewish nation, okay? So if it was good for Abraham, it's good for us. And Paul's going, good. Good. I hope, I hope that's true. Because think about this, if you're a math major in here, it was 14 years before circumcision was instituted by God that Abraham was declared righteous. Okay. So it wasn't under the law. So, you know, it wasn't because he was circumcised. It was before he was circumcised. So if you're a Jew going, wait a second, then What's the point of circumcision if Abraham was declared righteous before circumcision? They go, what was circumcision? You go, well, it's like I tell you of a wedding ring. A wedding ring is what? It's an outward sign of an inward change. It's much what we would say about water baptism as well, right? It's an outward sign of an inward change. And, you know, we're not saved by baptism, but you can talk to people. Have you ever talked to someone and said, you must be baptized in water in order to be saved? You ever heard that before? Show of hands, you've heard that from somebody. Somebody tell you, yeah, almost everybody here. And there's people that believe that. Water baptism doesn't save. I tell everybody, they go, we, <laughs> you look in the water, whether it's, you know, in the big baptism, that was always the better one because you could see across it. And, and I'd ask, you know, especially kids in particular. That's why, you know, at times I question, I go, you know, should, should we baptize children? And you go, they really don't have, the fullest comprehension. Some do, but for the most part, because I'd ask them, I go, why do you want to get baptized? And they go, Pastor Mike, I want all my sins to be washed away. And I go, well, honey, look out over the water here. That's not a very good chance that this water is going to wash away your sins. Matter of fact, you might want to go get a tetanus shot after, you know, or something, you know, I mean, after, after being in this water. I mean, it, it's not going to save you. There's only one thing that saves us, which leads to then a great conversation. What saves us? the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Faith in what Jesus did for us. Faith alone. Okay. <laughs> it's not faith plus works. I tell you all the time, Jesus plus what equals salvation? Nothing. Jesus plus nothing. So for, you know, for Abraham here, 14 years, think about that. 14 years before circumcision was instituted by God, he declared Abraham to be righteous. So the right of circumcision is what? It was a right that was in response to his redemption, but it wasn't a requirement for it. And the same would be true for water baptism. It's a sign, but it's not a requirement. Did the law ever deliver Israel? Can you show one instance where the law ever delivered Israel? No. What delivered Israel? When Israel was delivered, who delivered Israel? God did, yeah. God delivered Israel. And, and the law won't save you. You need a deliverer. And God sent a deliverer. He sent Jesus to be your deliverer. And you think back to you know Exodus chapter 12. I mean, all, all the children of Israel, what did they have there at the Exodus? They were in their homes. What did they do in order to be saved with the... What, when the angel of death came over, yeah, Kevin's in the back there acting like he's Pentecostals, but I know what he's doing. He's in the back going like this. <laughs> he, he, what he's saying is, is there was blood over the doorpost, right, Kevin? Yeah, yeah. Kevin was saying there's, there's blood over the doorpost. And that blood over the doorpost is what caused the angel of death to pass over. They, they had to just, in faith, trust the blood of that lamb. The blood of the lamb. 
that it would save them. It would save them. And what saved them is what saves us. The law didn't save. God saved. The law was given on Mount Sinai. When? After they were delivered, right? Not before. Did they get the law and then they were delivered? No, they were delivered. Then God gave the law of Moses. So again, we need to keep these things into perspective. And the law was given to do what? To maintain the blessing. Not to, not to bring about the blessing. It was a reminder that they were a blessed people. You know, why do we pray? What, what's the purpose of prayer? Is it to get something from God or is it to commune with God? Yeah, when Jesus taught the disciples to pray, how, how, what's the opening line of that? He tells us in Matthew. When you pray, pray in this manner. What does he say? How does it start, the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, yeah, our Father who art in heaven. You know, you think about that. Our Father, it's a relationship. That, that's what God desires with us and for us and from us. We draw upon God. I mean, are, are we getting something from God that God doesn't want us to have? You go, no, that, that's the beauty. It's a relationship. We're, we're asking God, you know, and, and, and really in the true sense, God is doing already what he purposed to do. Scripture tells us, and this is a great comfort for us, is to be reminded that, you know, God knows what you have need of even before you ask. Aren't you thankful for that today? That even before you pray, God knows what you need. And as I shared with you last week, thank God, you know, that we have Jesus as our high priest, right? You think about that, the incarnation. Why is that so important to us? Because we have a high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses and he prays for us. And so God is already working. So again, most of the time in prayer, if you really think about it, it's, it's, it's more of a, an appreciation, a thank you. It's like, thank you, God. Thank you, because you do meet my needs. As Paul said, you know, my God, my God shall what? Supply some of your needs, right? Every other Christmas, you know, every third, no, he says, my God shall supply all of your needs by his riches and glory that are in Christ Jesus. When you receive communion today, what are you going to be reminded of? Yeah. Are you going to be reminded of your good works today? When you, when you take this cup in your hand today, are you going to hold it in your hand? And you go, oh, let me, Lord, let me thank you for all the wonderful things I did this week. I don't. I mean, maybe you do. I, don't, I, don't, I can't speak for you. I can speak for me. I can think of all the things that weren't very wonderful that I did this week. And those come to my mind. And I thank God that what? That in spite of those things, God loves me. I can think of all the things that I did that are not worthy of his love. And I sit before God and I go, Lord, thank you. Thank you that you chose me. I think it was Spurgeon again who said it. He goes, you know, I'm glad that God chose me before the foundation of the world because I'm pretty sure afterwards he wouldn't have. You know, you think about that. That God chose us, chose us in Christ Jesus. And that's what we do. We celebrate in communion what he has done for us. And we were justified by God by what? By the things that we did this week? Or are we justified by faith? By faith in what Jesus Christ alone has done for us. And that, that's what really what Paul is, is driving at here. That, that's what he wants this, his Jewish audience to understand. You know, like circumcision. I mean, if you think about it, you know, in what ways could, could the cross remind us of circumcision? Think about circumcision for a moment here. You know, in the act of circumcision, it's a cutting away of the flesh. Let me ask you a biological question. Is there a way of, of fixing it once it's done? And you go, no, it's a one-time event. So these are the things I want you to think about today. So then when you read scripture and it says in Christ Jesus, once for all. Is there any way to undo this? Is there any way to undo the cross? No. So you can see the, the parallel in that regard, that it's a, it was a cutting away of the flesh, so to speak. There is no way to undo it, okay? Once it's done, it's once and for all. And that's the big picture here that God wants us to see with regard to faith. What God has done for us, because it wasn't about circumcision. 
It's about what God has done for us. That was to be a reminder. And so God did something that, you know, was very personal, you know, that, that they would have to deal with on a day-to-day basis because why? Heck, we don't even go the whole day. I, I always like that little cartoon that I saw years ago. It said, you know, Lord, I just want to thank you, you know, that, you know, I haven't had a bad thought today. I haven't done anything sinful. I haven't, you know, hurt anybody, you know, and it just list goes on and on. It says, but I'm about to get out of bed, you know, and then anything's possible, right? And, and you think about that. It's like, you know, we're, we're capable of anything. And yet I, I, I'm so appreciative of the fact that we have a God that took it upon himself to go to a cross in our place, suffer and die. And no one could ever take that away. No one, no, no one. It's like, you know, when someone dies, that's it. The good news of Jesus. And, and again, and it's one of the deep theological things that we see in scripture with one of our differences with regard to the Catholic church and the Eucharist is that, you know, in the Catholic church, every time they believe that, you know, every time the Eucharist is, is practiced or celebrated is that Jesus dies afresh in that moment. And you go, that, that's contrary to what scripture teaches. He died once and for all, once and for all, never to die again. That's what the writer of Hebrews you know, reminds us, right? That if you're looking for anything other than Jesus Christ, what's, what's happening? If you're looking for anything other than Jesus Christ, you're going to be disappointed. Because it says Hebrews says that, you know, in the old times, God spoke through the prophets. He spoke through the fathers. But in these last days, he's given us his word. Jesus Christ is God's final word to mankind. There is no one coming. It's one and done. You know, like I said, you might say. Charles Spurgeon put it like this. He said, love grows out of faith, yet further by the discoveries of beauty in Christ, which faith is sure to make. Faith is the soul's eye and its telescope by which it sees that which is so far off as to be otherwise invisible. Holy faith gazes upon the character of the Lord Jesus Christ realizes his person and discerns his matchless work and so creates knowledge out of which comes love. What basically what that's saying is, you know, the more that you understand God, the more you'll love God. That's why it's so important to, to be a student of the Bible, to read the Bible over and over and over again, because you're, you're always just scratching the surface. I love, I just, I, I see some of you and know that your love for God's work. And, and that you find new discoveries, isn't it kind of like digging for gold, you know, that you, when you look at it, like my wife would, would tell me sometimes she'll go, honey, you've watched this movie like too many times. And I tell her, no, that's not true. I go, because every time I watch it, those of you that have watched and you have a favorite movie that you like watching over and over, what do you tell people as your excuse? What do you say? You go, I see something that what? I didn't previously see. Like, because we only pick up certain things in a movie. You ever done that before? You watched a movie and you watched it again and you went, wow, that was really good. That, that scene, I, I never knew that, that that was there. Well, the word of God is living, right? I mean, think about that. You know, I mean, it is truth and it's living. There's going to be things that God's going to show you each and every time about his nature, his character, his love, his provision, all the things, you know, that declare who God is. You could never know him enough. And, and yet the story doesn't change. It's not like you read it one time and, you know, God, God changes characters in there. He's, he's not against you. He's for you. And he wants us, again, to know these things. Because what? We tend to be people who what? We forget the things that we need to remember. And we do remember the things that we need to forget. That's why Paul said, so we discipline ourselves to, to know God's word, to study his word, because knowing that, again, reading his word does something because this book, our Bible is unlike any other book. It's a living testimony. It's a living book. And, and by doing so, it says, and Paul would write to the church, you know, in Rome, he tells us again, you know, don't be conformed to this world, but be what? You know, transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so again, just being reminded of this truth. And so we understand circumcision is about bringing the children of Israel back to this place. And Paul, with it, again, what was he trying to do? He, was, he really had two points that he wanted to make. The first one was, you know, Abraham was circumcised, like I said, 14 years after 
he was pronounced righteous by faith. And so he was called the friend of God based upon what? His keeping of the law? Or by a choice that God made? It was a choice that God made. It was God's choosing. God called him a friend because he believed him. Because he trusted God. Like, if you want to look at that and study it for yourself, you can go back, you know, he was, he was counted righteous in Genesis 15, 6, but he, like I said, didn't receive the covenant of circumcision until Genesis 17, 24. So it has to be impossible that the ritual of circumcision could have had any saving value whatsoever. He was already God's friend for how many years? 14. 14. So that wipes out all the arguments, you know, that the Jews could have used in Paul's day that claims that, you know, it's the ritual of circumcision that made you acceptable to God. And you can read, you know, Galatians, you know, Paul uses a, you know, sarcastic humor there that really bring out a point uh, in that, you know, these, these Pharisees that were coming along, these Judaizers that were trying to, you know, it was, it was belief in Jesus plus circumcision. And Paul said, well, you know, heck, if you really believe that, and if you really want to prove yourself spiritual, right? In Galatians 6, he's like, well, then you shouldn't just circumcise yourself. What you should do is, is become a eunuch and just literally just eliminate the whole thing. And that'll really demonstrate then to God how spiritual you are. And of course, he was being sarcastic, but he used circumcision, you know, to, to demonstrate that to them. And you would think with that kind of a mindset, you'd go, oh yeah, well, I guess so. And then it's like, no, I'm, that's, that's not. And it wasn't what God called the nation of Israel to do. And so, again, when you think about the nation of Israel here, if they could be, you know, the father, Abraham, could be justified while he was still uncircumcised, then the question had to arise, then why can't other uncircumcised people be justified too? And so, again, that cancels out even our modern equivalent, like I said, of of water baptism because people bring up the same argument today. Oh, you have to be baptized in water in order to be saved. And you go, no, the way a person gets saved has never changed and it never will. It'll be by faith alone and what Christ has done for you on the cross. And it's so sad because you hear people, I mean, they'll say, I mean, well, I'll be at a memorial service do, doing a funeral. And someone's, oh, I don't think they went to heaven because they weren't baptized in water. I mean, even if you believe that, I mean, at least let the family mourn, you know, that then you go, but it's because it's not true anyway, but you go, wow. And you go, you really believe that? And, and you don't want to get into an argument, you know, in a setting like that, but you go, but what's the first person that comes to mind? The thief on the cross, right? And you go, so you pose the question. You go, well, let me just ask you a question. And you go, what about the thief on the cross? Do you think that, well, that's different because they didn't have the ability to be baptized in water. So, okay, so, so now it's conditional. And you go, well, so then it has to be conditional based on the person then, right? And you go, which is great because it says God knows the thoughts and the intentions of every person and every person will be judged by God. So you go, then why don't you let God judge them and you quit judging them? Yeah. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, okay. Man, what did Jesus say to the thief on the cross? He wasn't baptized, but he said, today, where will you be? To today, you'll be with me in paradise, yeah. You know, the second point, you know, Paul was making there, when you think about circumcision, what was the purpose of circumcision? That was the biggest thing that Paul wanted to draw out of this whole conversation. What was the, what was the purpose of circumcision? Just like, what is the purpose of water baptism? It's an outward sign of an inward change, right? He wanted them to understand. It was both a sign and a seal. He looked there in verse 11. Circumcision was a sign that Abraham already had faith and that God had already accepted him and declared him to be righteous even before he was circumcised. So Abraham is the spiritual father of those who have faith but have not been circumcised. They are counted as righteous because of their faith. Yeah, so it was a sign. God chose this sign. He placed it on a man's body. You know, and he chose where on a man's body that it would be placed. And, and, and like I said, and you go, without getting into all the particulars of it, you go, it's pretty obvious why God placed circumc circumcision where he placed it. 
is that numerous times throughout the course of a day, a man was going to have to be reminded then of this covenant, of this promise. And you go, why is that so true? Like I said, I shared with you the little, you know, funny story about the person who lays in bed and goes, you know, Father, you know, I haven't sinned yet, but I haven't got out of bed. Let me ask you this. How many by a show of hands, you, you've woken up one day and you had like the perfect morning. You had this great devotional with God. You spent quality time with God. You maybe, in the true sense, you never felt closer to God than in that moment. And then less than an hour later, you sinned. You ever had one of those moments? That you just, and you get so frustrated with yourself that you go, God, it's like, how can I be so close to you in this moment? And then all I have to do is be left with myself for unattended for, you know, one minute and, and seem so distant from you. And you go, I need God. And aren't you glad that God knew that? And it's why Jesus, when when he, before he returned to heaven, we think about the Trinity and, and the role that the Trinity plays in our life, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that God goes, I know, you're not good on your own. And so I'm not gonna leave you alone. When I return to the Father, I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna ask him to send another in my name, the Paracletos, who'll be with you and he will be in you. And you go, wow, thank God, thank God that he knew. It's a sign. He doesn't want us to forget. And like I said, you think of all the things that you do to remind yourself not to forget. And guess what? We still forget. I mean, how long does it take you to forget something? Have you ever had, you know, my wife could say, honey, can you take the trash out? Sure, I'll take the trash out. And then like the bag's still sitting there like, you know, an hour later. And she goes, well, you can take the trash out. Oh, yeah. I mean, and I, and when I think about it, I go, I completely forgot. And I, she said, would you do this? And I go, Yeah one ear and out the other. And that that's, could be anything, you know, in our life. We do, we forget so, so easily. And yet what God wants, not to remember the ritual, but he wants us to remember what the ritual stands for. And what did it stand for? What did circumcision in the true sense, church, what, what did circumcision stand for? for the child of God, for the nation of Israel? What did he want every Israelite male to remember? They were chosen of God. You're God's people. That God loved them. That he wasn't their enemy. That he had loved them with an everlasting love. And that he had a desire to provide for them, to guide them, to shine his life, his light through them, that they would be a blessing to the rest of the world. You go, has anything changed for the child of God? No. And you think about that today as we prepare our hearts this moment, you know, to celebrate, you know, communion. I mean, he did it in a way, think about it, circumcision was such a sign, it was done in such a way, they would never forget it, right? They would never Forget it in that regard. And you go, what has he done? We look at the cross today. So he's given us what a sign. What a reality of Jesus coming into this world, being perfect and sinless and going to a cross. This one life has impacted the world like no other single life has in the history of the world. Jesus is the centerpiece of it all. It was to be a sign. I, I saw a thing on Instagram this last week. It was really funny. And uh, it said, uh, it was a picture and it, said, it was called uh, uh, Marriage Pro Tip. Maybe some of you guys saw this. And it has a husband and wife sitting there and it says, Marriage Pro Tip. It says, hey guys. It says, uh, Marriage Pro Tip. It says, take a picture of your wife and make sure that your wife is the screensaver uh, or the wallpaper on your phone. And any time that you're going through a difficult time during the course of the day, anytime life gets really hard, he goes, look at that picture of your wife. And remember, you know, if you can handle her and put up with her, you can put up with anything. And, and it shows the wife looking at her husband, hey, you know, like that's, and you think about that, you go, but, but it, 
it, it was a great reminder. It's a sign. And let it be a sign to remind you of something else. That's what circumcision was. But it was also a seal, a seal to guarantee the permanency because it was one and done. It was a permanent, it was, had a permanent effect. And that's even more important for us today as we celebrate communion, being reminded of what Christ has done for us is permanent, never to be undone. He's never going to die again. He did it once and for who? For all, for all. And for all includes me and for you. Unchanging, unchanging acceptance before God. That's what we have because of what Christ has done for us when we receive him by faith. Have you done that? I hope that you have. Then I hope that you think of the realities. Every time that we receive communion, every time you think about Jesus Christ and what he accomplished for you, propitiation, justification, all these things that we study in the book of Romans, you start to really comprehend it. Why? Why every great revival that has ever broke out in the world finds its centerpiece in the book of Romans for the simple fact that the just shall live by faith. Not faith in you, not faith in me, faith in God and what Jesus Christ has done for us. Amen. I can't think of a better, you know, Sunday, you know, for this to fall on, you know, verse 12 ends with this. I'll invite the worship team to come up. It says in verse 12, it says, and our father Abraham was also the spiritual father of those who have been circumcised, but only if they have the same kind of faith uh, Abraham had before he was circumcised. And so, you know, again, what Paul, he's not talking about, you know, really in the truest sense, he's not talking about circumcision. He's talking about the benefits or the relationship of what circumcision provides. It's the gift of being made acceptable uh, before God, being loved by God, being a child of God. That, that's what Paul was, was driving to here. It wasn't about, you know, you know, Abraham. I like what David Guzik in his commentary on Romans points out. He says, our father Abraham, in some of your translations, it'll say our father Abraham. He says, that's an important phrase, one that the ancient Jews jealously guarded. They did not allow a circumcised Gentile convert to Judaism to refer to Abraham as our father in the synagogue. A Gentile convert had to call Abraham your father and only natural born Jews could call Abraham our father. Paul throws out the distinction and says that through faith, all can say our father Abraham. That's the beauty of this. Abraham is the father of all who would come to God through faith. And my hope and my prayer is that you've done that today. And if you haven't, you can. What do we do coming to God by faith? We accept what God has done for us that we can't do for ourselves. We can't save ourselves. Only God can save. Amen. Placing our hope and our trust, in, not in any external thing that we would ever do, but what God has done for us in Christ. It's a great way to start 2022 and be reminded, you know, that we owe everything to God. Amen. He has done everything for us. He gave, there's nothing more. You know, what more could he give? You know, the song would declare, what more could he give that he gave his life for me and you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us. And Lord, even as we gather as a church today and we're reminded we're not physical descendants of Abraham, but we are spiritual sons and daughters of Abraham. Because like Abraham, by faith, we've come to God through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. We recognize today that our salvation is a gift from God and that it's received apart from any merit on our part. And Lord, we thank you for opening our eyes to that truth. It wasn't something we figured out on our own. Lord, thank you for loving us like you do. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. Thank you for accepting us because of Jesus. Thank you for loving us because of Jesus. Thank you for making us righteous because of Jesus. And like the Jews before us, thank you for saving us because, Lord, not because we were circumcised, but because we trusted you. 
And so, Lord, we thank you today for the opportunity we have to receive communion together, to celebrate you in this place, to be reminded again and again and again that your mercies are new every morning and great is your faithfulness. Thank you for the gift of faith. And Lord, we pray throughout the course of this year that as your word declares, faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the word of God that Lord, you would help us to just carve out more time where Lord, we could spend with you and your word that our faith would increase, especially in these perilous times that we live in, that we wouldn't be distracted and Lord, we wouldn't be steered off course, but that God would be drawn closer and closer to you, trusting you, believing you, and so, Lord, we thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your life. Be glorified this year. Be glorified this week. Be glorified this day, Lord. In each of our lives, we pray for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, I'll invite you, you know, where you're at. There's, I think, is there stations there on the side? Yeah, there's some on the side too. Is uh, Just enjoy this last song. And as you receive communion, just appreciating afresh, you know, for what Jesus has done for you, that we're saved, you know, not by works, which any man can boast. Paul would write to the church at Ephesus, our salvation, we are saved by God's grace through faith. Amen. It is a gift from God, something to be cherished, something to be celebrated and enjoyed. And I pray that you do that today.
remember what was done for us what jesus did for us and that he's returning once again we bless his name in jesus name we pray amen god bless you